0: All right. Welcome to the Ship It podcast. My name is Brandon. I'm here today with Matt Merrill, who is one of Rocket's more recent employees.
1: Awesome. I'm just going to let him introduce himself. Hi, my name is Matt. I come from a uh, Java background and I recently, well, recently, three years ago, four or five years ago, switched to Java to JavaScript. And I'm mostly a server side dev good man i'm not gonna hold it against you that you came from java yeah. a lot of us did <laughs> i still like it yeah
0: do you so yeah it has its place i haven't okay. used it in a long time yeah no, i haven't I've either been, as so. since like college era i think yeah well so yeah this is actually a great segue because today we're going to talk about what it means to be a back-end dev in 2019 you know we've seen a lot of shifting landscape here you know a great example is we used to build things in java <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't do that anymore um uh, we see a lot of things around serverless stuff, a lot of hipster te- uh, technology, you know, yeah. uh, real time, WebSockets, uh, stuff web like scale. That. Yeah, AWS. Anything they have so many services, it's hard to keep track of. What I feel like they do everything probably at this they point. Yes, yeah, and so. more. And that's you know that then there's like this blurry DevOps line of like where mm. does backend stop and DevOps begin, which we talked about today. We had done an exercise earlier uh, where we were had a bunch of us speaking about like kind of mind mapping out everything that's related to back-end dev and, and that map we had what probably 10 people working on that but it got big fast it got big real fast it was hard to scroll across yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, it's it really pointed out like how much and then we had all these like discussions over you know does this even
1: count as back-end dev is this right. devops is this tooling is it it's all sort of is back-end dev. well it's like it's like the iceberg right the yeah. tip is well i don't want to i don't wanna, minimize what front-end devs do it's huge these days it gets more important but i mean there really is an iceberg underneath there right and like i think that the level like the level of specialization as you go deeper down there is is really important like you can't be expected to know that all and do it well yeah and it gets full stack is a whole nother whole nother topic. But yeah. I really believe you can't be a good yeah, good at everything. I mean, yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. Right now we're sort of hunting for some full stack devs because we
0: opened we recently opened a New York City office and um, we need that kind of skill set to start that office. It seems yeah. like you need that full-stack generalist sort of knowledge when you're at like that startup level. And even though Rocket's not a startup, the New York City office is, you know. So we need someone who kind of has all those chops to sort of help hire out that team. So we've recently switched over to like looking for that full-stack role. But then we had to define what that role was. And I remember like, what is that nowadays? So what I ended up, and we're still working on this, but what I ended up um, saying was like, I want someone who can stand up a server on their own. You know, from, like, zero to deploy, like, be able to host it. I can hit an endpoint, hit an API, do some CRUD operations on whatever users, let's say, creating, updating, deleting users. Um, I don't necessarily care so much about authentication in terms of, like, well, I should rewind. Um, We've been considering doing homework. So when we do phone screens, it's hard to understand, like, where their level's at. So we talk about homework or maybe interview tests or quizzing them while they're here, pairing sessions while they're in the interview but because backend is so big, it's hard to focus on, like, what do you actually focus on to make sure they know what they're talking about? What we see is full-stack people, well, they'll say full-stack in their resume, but what they really mean is, I worked on a team where this was already set up, and I ended up creating a controller and a couple routes, but that's it. Like, no migrations, no doing it from... They haven't
1: bootstrapped it. That's right. Yeah. Maybe the, I should start using that word when we when we hunt for these people, bootstrapping. That's what I always told like my old team is, you know, bootstrapping something is one of the most valuable things you'll ever do to learn about this stuff is getting it going from scratch but if you work with something that somebody's already done for you
0: you don't learn that much from it yeah no
1: you don't yeah and that's funny when we, we talked about front end when we did um, there was like
0: a year of I would call it like my webpack hell where I was just configuring <laughs> webpack all the time. And I was just like, this is not fun. And this is getting old because it's always a different config and it was always a different flavor. It wasn't like bootstrap. I mean, it is bootstrapping a front end project, yeah. but it, it was so much more painful than bootstrapping a back end project. But. It's really valuable, and a lot of people are so afraid to touch it they never will touch it, right? Which is unfortunate. Yeah. There's, I wanted to show you. Uh, I don't know if I can without without breaking my screen. But uh, here's. Can you see this this image here where there's like this cuddly bear oh, above yeah. the water, and it says front end, and there's rainbows, yeah. and below it's like this kraken and, and skeletons and tentacles. and, and, stuff. and yeah. I feel like it's a good analogy for what back end is because yeah. you know from a front end, I've I, so my history is uh, started off as like that generalist like more heavy on the back end, move toward the front end. Like, I mean, back in my day, it was like PHP and MySQL and Lamp. Right. And and then F, and then it was Flash. So was quick switch to front end. And then it was like this, oh, no one cares about Flash anymore. I guess I'll better learn JavaScript. And, and that's how I got to where I am now. But um, building the back end stuff then, it seems so much more straightforward than it is now just because there's so many options. Yeah. And... Before it was like, well, you mean lamp stack like Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. Like, what else could you need? Yeah, you know? that's true. And now I don't know how to evaluate people based on what they know because they come from so many different stacks. But you're right. Bootstrapping is one of those things that I feel like
1: is a must, right? Yeah, it, for a full stack dev, yeah. Like, to, I I guess it's there's no there's no good definition of what it is, but I like what you said. Like, can you get the th- can you get something going from scratch? Yeah. Maybe not even necessarily from scratch. Do you have the resources to pull from to bootstrap something from the ground up, yeah. and not just take from what's already there? I think also, like adding on to what you said, I don't know if I'd necessarily expect a full quote unquote full stack dev to be able to scale something out. Yeah. You know what I mean and make it operational. Sure, that's right. that's very DevOps, yeah. Right, like that's that's where I start drawing the line. Is okay, you're gonna you're gonna create multiple instances of this. Uh, you need to load balance it. Yada yada yada. That starts to me to get into DevOps, and that's where I think the line is. Now, don't get me wrong; I don't think like a good backend engineer needs to be very aware of those things. Sure, yeah, you need to know it. Load balancing exists, right? You need to know. You need to design for it. You need to architect for that. But maybe you don't necessarily know how to do it on the backend, and especially not a full stack Dev, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe unicorns exist. We want a unicorn, right? Like, but realistically, are you going to get one of those? I don't know. So. Yeah,
0: well, that's the other thing we see is that they have jobs that they like right now. So wooing them away from a job is really hard. The people who don't have jobs typically aren't your... The people who are like really good at this stuff, yeah. unfortunately. It is it is just the uh, the hiring nightmare of it all. But it's it's tough. I, I don't know if I should be focusing more on the traditional or the modern. You know, I guess... Well, I should say if someone came to me and they were like, oh, my backend experience was like I had to set up code... Gateway on AWS and a bunch of Lambdas, and that's really all I've ever done. Right. And I'd be like, "Well, that's interesting." Even if you've never set up a database, that's at least interesting because no one else has done that. So then I'd be like, "Oh, is this is this is actually valuable? Is this something we should pursue, or is this sort of like another one of those? Someone kind of set it up for me. I never really interacted with the database, and I don't understand." We talked earlier about this. We were talking about relational databases and like what's proper versus what feels right, and how you want to interact right. with it. And I think it's easy if you're not experienced to just be like, well, I'm supposed to break all these things up into tables and make it relational. And sometimes you're like, well, the solution doesn't need that. That's overkill. But I think that comes with time. Yeah. So it's it's hard to judge those things. I, I want to know how to ask those questions. That's what I'm trying to figure
1: out. One thing I've always asked of interviewees, you know, when they, after they give me some, they rattle off some experience they had or some project and what they did on it, I may always make sure to say, okay, and what was your role on that? Mm-hmm. Were those decisions made for you? Did you make those decisions? It's always very interesting to hear. It's many times what I would find, and maybe it was my my past company. Many times what I would find is, oh yeah, no, those decisions were made for me. Yeah, and I mean, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. No, but
0: it's, it's it's more it, common than I thought.
1: Yeah, it's very common, and, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But sometimes the way that they speak about those things you're like oh they did this yeah they, they have like a, a the case a, yeah it's right? weird the wording is very confident this
0: actually happened recently we did a phone screen i thought someone was like you know confident with the redux side of things but they their gripe with the current place they were working was that there was a lot of um like oppression over prs and like you can't name your constants that you got to name it this and you don't have your comments this long and line links are too long i've worked on that it's annoying but it was not that obvious to me and then uh another coworker kind of ended up speaking to her on the phone as well and and got a totally different side of things like, oh, I, I don't even like doing it and I refuse to, to do it that way. And it's like, well, that's a terrible attitude. But it's yeah. two different phone screens, two different things. And, and finding that out at the interview process would have been hard. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to find out that people uh i don't care if they have strong opinions on the back end like oh i really like firebase and i stick with it because of this and you know sometimes i have to use Mongo right. and that's okay it's, opinions are good yeah opinions are good uh as long as you're well what do we always say here
1: strong opinions loosely held yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah as long as you're flexible yeah you know yeah. when to to lose you know like that's that's the thing you know it's fun i just made jarred a jarred a little memory i was just looking at a i was just reading a book uh, apprenticeship patterns and um they had a quote from Bill Gates saying like the real test of something like the real test of a programmer is you hand him 30 pages of code and see how fast he can decode it. And that got me thinking, like yeah. we spend a lot of time having people create code, mm. but really one of the biggest challenges is, can you get into a code base, figure it out, yeah. decode it, and then maybe provide some constructive criticism. That happens. Right. And I feel like
0: on the back end, that's a much bigger bigger skill. You can almost work your way through the front end a little bit because there's a little bit more structure, but the back end, we talked about this earlier. You know, there's especially a node, there's not a lot of best practices, so yeah. people kind of just do whatever they want. I always end up seeing what I call like hacker scripts, or it's like a bin folder, and it's just like just node run my script, like one of my 10 scripts in there to get something done. You're like, does this deploy? Does this build? Yeah. Like, what does this do? And you do have to decipher it. So maybe you're right, like, there are a lot of stuff. A lot of things. Even if we end up taking a project, like a legacy project, and we're like, we're gonna, we're not gonna like update the legacy project. We're just gonna like migrate it to something more modern. Yeah. Um, understanding how it works in the first place is key. Yeah. And there is a different skill set from setting something up and getting it running from scratch, which is nice because you got nice and shiny, nice and clean. It's like getting right. a perfectly brand new operating system. You're like, oh, this computer's so fast. You know, I, yeah. I can do it anything I want, as opposed to inheriting something where. You're like, I don't know how someone wrote this or three people wrote this or however many people ended up writing it. And it can be hard to decipher it. So, you know, John, what he was saying is sometimes when they do like these coding tests, he'll he'll give them a data set, uh, like a CSV file, which is nice because you have like a flat file database. And it's up to them to, to iterate over that and insert into a database of that's their a, choice. That's a good one. But he met, he puts in junk data in some places. So they have to work worry about like processing that and catching that bad data, which is a big part of being a back-end dev. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. When he said that, I was like, oh, that's so true. I've gotten so used to just like cleaning and scrubbing data over time that I kind of forget that it's like, oh, yeah, that is a definite Same back-end nature. skill. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I need people to tell me these things because I forget that they're <laughs> – that it's like – it's just – I got so used to it over time, you know? Yeah. I forget, yeah.
1: Well, th- there's another thing, too, here where – we're talking about all these expectations of developers. It also depends on on the level and the, the level of experience. Mm-hmm. I would never expect somebody who's green, even a year, you know, out of school or whatever, to to be able to do that, right? There's a huge difference in our level in level of expectation. And I think you and I are talking about much more senior people yeah. because that's wh- that's who we've been hiring. Yeah, and we've only just been starting to talk about hiring entry level people. So that's a whole. I would hate for somebody to hear this and think like, oh God, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not up for this, but That's like, true. we're talking about, That's true. well, you, you and I, I'm comparing doing this myself for at least 10 yeah, years, right? Exactly. Each, yeah. Right. So.
0: Uh, yeah. Since I was, I guess I started when I was
1: 18, 15 years. Oh wow. crap. Yeah. I'm at, I think I'm at, I'm going on 14. So yeah. Wow. That made me just feel old. Yeah, get off my lawn. Yeah. Right. Totally. It's true.
0: You know, it, I look at all these candidates we see. See a lot of boot camp stuff too. And yeah. um, in boot camps, I'll either see very front end heavy stuff with like a Rails backend or just yeah. Rails. Mm-hmm. I never see anything that's like we're going to teach you Express at this boot camp. So all the people who are learning stuff are coming out of college. It's very front endy heavy, um, especially because there's like frameworks that are really popular, like React. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, if we teach you React, we can give you career placement. Those boot camp things are so focused on like career placement after the fact that they try to focus on those industry buzzwords. Uh, and rails is really easy to teach. So I see yeah. I feel like we get a lot of that. It's so much of it's configured for you. It's like, you don't get to make that decision. That's the convention of rails. Yeah, there's something to be said for it. Especially sure, if yeah. you want to, if you want to get going yeah. fast, I mean, learning rest APIs with rails is probably the best way to start. Cause they take away
1: so many of those decisions for you. Hmm. Yeah. I've, I don't have very little experience with rails, but that's what I've heard. Yeah. So I've, well, uh, John, if John was here, he would, he well, would it was, have something to we say. We did but. this project
0: and, um, we'd started using, uh, it was uh it was you know really it's postgres on the back end we this is where i was telling you we had started with sequelize and then mm-hmm. i hated the migrations and then we were thinking about going to connects and then we ended up going to type orm because we thought we were going to bring on a junior developer eventually and and then as i was working with one of the developers who was doing more like the data modeling stuff he was a strong rails dev and i'm not and he kept asking these questions like what is where do i find this thing this rails equivalent in node and i was like it doesn't exist it doesn't exist it doesn't exist I, just, I felt bad after a while, yeah. like, it seems like Rails is the better choice for relational data, at least for what we were doing on that project, and eventually we just made this decision, like, let's just kill the typo RM thing and just switch to Rails, because it's uh-huh. got all the things you, it, you already know Rails, that was a big part of it, he, like, he already knew it, and yeah. you could take it on, and uh, on top of that, it was just much more suited to that project, but... I didn't know that until he talked about it. So it's you know for me Rails was like I, I kind of know it like tangentially. I did the whole five minute blogging tutorial back when, way yeah, back when. But that's about what our like I'm Ooh, scaffolding, yeah. neat, right? Uh, but I haven't touched haven't touched it since then. Yeah, um, it, it's still popular. I th- it's funny when we were hiring people at Brightcove before it was like Rails people were West Coast. And huh. It was hard to find them in the east coast. We had to like ship them out. I don't know if that's still interesting. True. Yeah, I know John. I know. He's had candidates here and there. but He's had a hard time finding Rails people. Yeah. So maybe that's just the nature of our geography, or maybe it's dying, or maybe maybe it's I just don't. front end people are coming out of the woodwork left and right.
1: The front end thing, with the original theme of this right, was like for, like back end people. Today? Like, yeah. and you mentioned before that a lot of the people coming out of boot camps are front end focused. As as somebody who has a back end slant, that's something that like I. I don't know if I'd say worry about, but I have my eye on right, yeah. and I, I, I see stuff like that. I see stuff like Firebase. I see stuff like quote unquote backend as a service, like uh, you know Parse used to be. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, we were using one at my at my last place to do a mobile app. That stuff is fantastic, mm-hmm. and you know if you can buy software as a service, that's just backend as a service. I mean, a ton of what at least I've done. I don't know if you can say the same is basic crud stuff. You yep. put a few rules on top of it. That that as a back-end dev like makes me a little it, gi- it gives me a little what's the future here? You know like sure. back-end is starting to be almost like an afterthought because of stuff like that, which kind of this is a half big thought. I don't really no, know where are. I'm going with this, right. but when we started talking today in that in that mind mapping exercise about everything, it seemed like all roads led to devops and like that's where i where i wonder like okay is is the code the kind of the middle layer there kind of gonna just start to be real small real commodity like and really the real challenge of the of the i'm using air quotes here back end dev is just going to shift to like all that wide. dev off yeah. make sure it can scale make sure that it's you know that it's that it's operational and stuff make like sure that. it continuously yeah. deploys uh, yeah right, right yeah um i We're looking at this for a few projects
0: right now, but I also think that we're going to see a lot more of it in 2019. In general, is the headless CMS. So there's a Mm. lot of these out there. Um, Contentful is the one we see as like the big one. Their pricing is crazy weird all over the place, but their offering is pretty great. There's a lot of contenders in that arena too. Mm. A lot, so many. We were looking at Brian Busby, who's a recent hire at Rocket. He was looking into this, and he found an article from this like CMS, uh, like CMS blog kind of thing that was. 24 headless CMSs that you should be keeping your eye on in 2019 not oh, just 24, just, just, 24. Just,
1: just to keep your eye on To a month
0: yeah It's uh, so it's a, it's a busy space but it does it, it brings all that like content modeling and crud stuff and caching layers and staging tokens and all that stuff you have to think about when you're building out a back end as a service and a lot of it's funny to me I personally don't want to pay $500 a month for Contentful but from an enterprise level price they don't care they, that's fine. Good backend engineers are expensive Seriously. and hard to find. That's right. Yeah. yeah as so, we've, as like, we've shown. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I do think that we're going to move that way toward I th- I more sometimes. of that stuff because, on top of that, um, if you think about, well, just think about us. You know, if, if you hired us to build a backend and eventually we're going to have to update it, update, there's going to be some database thing or some security right. update or whatever, but you just get that for free when you pay for backend as a service. Yeah. I always like picking up Firebase when I was doing like hackathon stuff because it was. exactly that it's like backend as a service i can just start writing data and not have to think about security and all that stuff or the authentication was a snap uh and i remember thinking then oh boy maybe this is where backends like it's just going to go away it kind of hasn't it seems not yet it seems like we still have plenty of customers that are have their own custom thing SQL, postgres maybe they won't even want to start that way and move that way and I, i don't think we're gonna see we're not gonna lose that whole like java i gotta figure out the back end i gotta figure out these crud apis layer for
1: years but it'll happen i think, I think I, yeah i think it's starting to get commoditized i mean when when i when that mobile project that i mentioned we used the back end of the service on i had myself and another very strong back end dev who was good with architecture and stuff like that we both were evaluating options for what to do for this back end uh, and this was uh two three years ago at this point and we started looking at one of these back end of the service tools and it would, we, all knew, we all knew Node. We all knew JavaScript. It used that to do customizations. You could do pre post hooks. It just saved it into a Mongo like data structure. We were like, Seems oh, great. Oh, this seems great. And there was some hesitation on our team towards sure. it. I think it was maybe a little bit fear based. Yeah. But we were under the gun to get the thing out. And man, it, it worked really well. And like, it came out of the other end like, Man, I wish wow. I could use this for everything. I never used Firebase, but it was very similar to that. And like, I, I think if I were to do something over a greenfield, I would start there. I'm not necessarily saying I would prescribe it for everything. I'd be like, why not? I, like, is there I, a reason yeah. I shouldn't? You know, like I tend to have that. Um,
0: not everyone agrees with this. <laughs> I have yeah. the mindset that if you're, especially for startups or you're just a hackathon or whatever, it has a similar hackathons and startups are similar. Just like, just be fast, get it working, then get it right. Yeah. Um, I think, in my opinion, it's better to spend a little bit in the early days of a startup to where you're just like, I'm going to use backend as a service. I'm going to use this imageix for my images. I'm going to use uh, file upload for all my video uploads. And I'm going to use MUX to do my video processing. And it's just like, sure, those services cost money, way more than it would be if you built it in-house. But you're going to get to speed to market is like, way faster. And then eventually yeah. you're like, oh, no one's even using the image uploader, but everyone's using the video uploader. Let's optimize that yeah. for our cost. I think a lot of people try to solve all that stuff themselves from the get go, and as to your point, it's like back-end devs are expensive, so yeah. it might not be saving
1: you money by trying to do that from the get go. Yeah, that that was my biggest. I grew, I, I grew, you know, in levels in my last my last job, and that was the biggest takeaway that I came away with is you know like what what can you do the cheapest, yeah. or or maybe not even the cheapest, but just the quickest. Because time and How do you time test
0: it? also is a cost. So yeah. you, oh, yeah. you know, if you look at it on paper, oh, if we build this in house, it would cost us this much a month to run it. But it'll take us eight months to build it. Right? It's like we build this off the shelf. It's a month and a half. But like, man, look at that bottom line. That's a big sticker price. Let's work on bringing that down over time, and then eventually, you know, right. that gets deprioritized. And you're like, man, this this bill is insane. We got to get those AWS bills down. <laughs> well,
1: it's a forcing function? I mean, it's also like I I always I describe it as like an investment portfolio too. Where you have a, a set of you have a set pool of money that you can spend on this software project. Where is the value? Is it on the front end for your for your Right directly to your customers or is it on the back end? There's no right answer to that. You know, like depending Every on who you are. Right? But yeah. yeah. But where where's the you know, where's the right place to spend that money? Maybe it's not on the back end, maybe it is, you know, I don't know. It's true. uh, One of
0: our customers,
1: they have that same
0: problem to think about all the time. They have sitting on a lot of complicated scientific medical data that they have to surface internally in a way that makes sense. Yeah. But they also like, and that's probably, and they build their services around that. Like, how are we going to surface this data that other things can use? And they think very back endy about all that stuff because they have to. They do have a few products that use that data to show that information to a customer, which takes that extra eye of like, how are you going to present this in a way that makes it understandable to to a customer or a patient that maybe even a doctor doesn't have to explain it. And and that's a tough thing to, to do. But those are, you know, that's the, that's the challenge of front end is like, how do I make all sense of all this information? Whereas the challenge of back end is sort of how do I organize all this information so right. that you can do whatever you want with it? I love yeah. APIs um, that I use, like third party APIs that just seem like they, they offer up like you know 10 ways to skin the same
1: cat it's like we don't know how you're going to use this information but here are a bunch of apis for oh you to man access it. that's a great po- oh yeah that's a great point like one of the things i love about about backend dev is like kind of the art mm. of crafting a good api it's so hard to do oh totally it's but you so know when hard you're, you
0: know when you're using one
1: oh yeah like twilio yeah oh, oh i never twilio. used that one that was that
0: was my first one where i was like this feels like I'm reading poetry. (laughs) It's sad, but yeah, It's sad. It is. It's it's true. After you use a bunch of garbage APIs for a long time, you get something nice and it's just a breath of fresh air. And it can be done. And I don't actually know what it is that makes it so easy? It's got to be like either. ease of use or something, or
1: I don't know, consistency maybe, but that's some good, people nail that's it. That's a good question. Yeah. Microsoft Graph is another one yeah. that's actually surprisingly actually, good. actually
0: wearing a Zencoder shirt, which was purchased by Brightcove, so I was a little oh, bit of loyalty there, but yeah. they have incredible APIs for encoding. Oh. Uh, big fan of that. Yeah, there's a handful of them out there. Uh, Mux is a new one. It's actually, some of the guys from Zencoder left to go make like a, oh. an even simpler version of encoding video, and so that's a great one. Uh, yeah, there's... If I had to think about it, there's probably like a a short list of less than 10 APIs that I'm like, these things are just top notch, you know,
1: just the best high charts. That's a good one. So I think we've, we've arrived at watch out. You might not be writing any sort of middle, middle logic, but you've got to really be good at crafting APIs and start thinking about DevOps. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I mean,
0: even on a product I just did, there was, um, we used WordPress as a headless CMS Mm -hmm. and, WordPress is not known for being the most performant database especially when you add a lot of custom stuff and they had a lot of plugins we had a surface data in weird ways and, and it ended up being that we'd had to make several API calls to get this information to build like the object we need to show a list of articles or just one article or whatever and uh, the time to make all those requests was so long that we just had to build a caching layer like I wasn't planning on building a Redis caching layer into it when I had started. Had I done thought about that initially, I would have built it differently. It's got a little bit of a Frankenstein feel where you're like, oh, you added Redis at the end. Like that uh-huh. that kind of thing. Um, I mean, it works fine. It just needs, it could use some refactoring to make it look like Redis first, database second. Yep. Kinda, um, but you but, got it out. But we got it out. We had to figure yeah. that out at the end and we had to roll with it. And that's part of the interview that I, I want to figure out or part of the phone screen or whatever the process is to find this person. We interviewed one person here um, it's interesting. I won't name him. Uh, he, he was passed on initially for a totally different role. And then I saw the person's resume and I was like, Oh, I want to talk to this person. And in the interview, he had never worked with Vue, like JS, before. And I was like, we're going to build this thing with Vue. And we're just, I'm going to teach you it in five minutes. And then the rest, we're just going to refer to docs. And in an hour and a half, he did it. And then he took it home and worked on it some more and, and nailed it. And I thought that was a hugely valuable skill. I was like, I'm going to yeah. throw you into it to something you've never touched and let's see how well you do. Yeah. You're great. And I almost want to figure out how to ask those questions to people before or maybe during the interview or that kind of thing. And I don't know how we do that with backend interviews. That's tough. With backend interviews. Cause it is, it's a, you know, we mentioned earlier, like the, like data modeling. And you know, if, if we move away from, Oh, I had to once set up a relational database to, Oh, I just defined everything in contentful. Your cont- your models are just like these flat objects that you can, you're like, oh, I, I have an author. And then over here, I've created a list of those author component types. And it's not that hard to
1: use. It's very easy. It's very visual, you know. But that I think that that, that modeling skill, though, could be applied to how would you design the API for this? Yeah. You know, you know what would you do? Um, and this type of stuff that I'd be looking for is are you asking questions to the people <laughs> that are the clients of this? Are you involving them or are you just going off on your own? and saying i think that this is the best way to do it it's true. you know what i mean like there's there's a personal skill to that too that's the that's listener. very important yeah um really you know kind of who are the clients who are the domain experts are you asking them things um these are you know, more the soft skills i suppose yeah, but i mean that stuff's really important i agree um, i think so, half of our job is soft skills honestly it yeah. seems like it yeah, I mean to be I, to be good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean,
0: I already made a recommendation to um, one of our customers the other day. Same one. We did the headless WordPress CMS, and I was like, "This WordPress thing is like a stepping stone. It's not ideal for what you want to do." So let's see if we can get you onward from there. And I presented three solutions, and and even though Contentful was the longest like timeline of a project, which probably makes it seem like we're trying to upsell them, even though that's not true. Um, the main reason I offered that up is this: like, this is the solution that we recommend, is because it prevents vendor lock in. It's like they, they aren't tied to us. If they ever want to leave and go somewhere else and like have some other developer work on Contentful for them, no problem. Nice. And that's nice and easy for them. And I'm a big fan of that. Like I want to prescribe the right solution, not just go off and be like, I had this thing and I barely listened to anything you said and here's your answer. <laughs> like I've I've dealt with those people
1: before yeah. and they drive me nuts. Yeah. I I had, that's that's also a really good characteristic of, of a front-end engineer. Is, you know, like what, forget, was I talking with you about this earlier? No, I was talking with John about this earlier. About how... Information hoarding is such a bad thing and it, i mean that it is in general but especially as a back end of like i feel like your goal should be to make that damn thing that complicated thing as simple as possible yeah. you know like operationally the api it's just a giant exercise in in simplification and, that is and the if art. you can do that yeah that's the art of it that's what i love i'm a I'm a geek in yeah, that sense but when i first started my apis were sort of um
0: kind of like the php library where it was sort of there's a method for everything it's like you want an endpoint for that oh i got a dedicated endpoint for that it's like <laughs> how many endpoints do you have yeah. a lot you yeah. yeah and it doesn't have to be that way now it's it can be much more it, there is an art to it. i like that though it's like yeah, you're designing of, it you know it's yeah. almost like you create it's weird it's it's hard for me to explain to my family and girlfriend or whatever that a, even though it's ones and zeros, and I'm writing software, and it's a very logical process, so much of that writing process is actually creative. Yeah, because you have to figure it out, and sometimes you aren't in a creative mood that day, and it doesn't click, and yeah. you're not in the zone, and it's it's tough. Actually, That's the part I love about this job. Yeah, yeah, it really if, keeps me going. If though. it was just solving math problems all day long i probably would not enjoy it <laughs> yeah i almost didn't go into it because i thought that it would be like yeah. that yeah so. so i'm not even that great at math and i tell people that all the time like Incredible i had to at it. i had to relearn like algebra 2 so i could help some people like get through their classes and stuff and i remember learning it and be like oh this makes so much more sense now that i've learned programming <laughs> 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 first time around it i yeah. was like ah, algebra, when am i going to use that Get it. yeah running up on about 30 minutes that's a good length. Yeah. Unless you have more you want to chat about? No, I can't think of anything. So the art of the API. Yeah. That's what I'm taking away from Ooh, us, that's like, so. I think you just came up with an, ep- an episode yeah. In here. Yeah, so in true, uh, I guess, agency fashion, instead of, of reinventing the wheel and trying to come up with our own ideas, we're going to steal an idea from other podcasts and talk about picks, you know, things that we find, I did the air quotes there, <laughs> uh, picks, uh, you know, I know JavaScript Jabber does this, Syntax FM does this, I'm sure plenty of others do as well, where... We're just going to talk about things that we like: software, books, movies, songs, ideas, anything that just sort of strikes our fancy. So, uh, I'll lead. Um, my pick for this week is Code Sandbox. There's a lot of these things out there, like JS Fiddle, Codepen, JS Bin. They all work differently. They all have different features. Uh, Code Sandbox is very, um, very modern, and I might be mistaken here. I think it's written by the team who wrote Meteor no i am mistaken that's apollo that's sure. a different thing entirely. Oh, okay um, but anyway i didn't know
1: apollo was the same team as me. i believe that's true. okay um, All right.
0: and so code sandbox is fantastic and when you open it up they give you a bunch of options of like uh i want to do an, a nuxt js project right out of the gate which i love because i actually love Vue and nuxt and setting it up is a pain in the butt so you can kind of like get up and running really fast in the browser you can write your tests just test right in the browser see the tests run it's got a a very visual code-like environment. In fact, there's a preference in Code Sandbox to switch it so you're actually using Visual Studio Code in the browser, um, wow. which is pretty fun. So they're, they're always making new updates and stuff. And So if you're like me, where you like to like kind of tinker, uh, that's a really good option. And also, I should mention this since it's tangential, uh, Jordan, uh, one of the people who works at Rocket, sent out a link the other day for an app called RunJS on the Mac, which is basically like, it looks like a terminal window, but you're just running JavaScript in the console right there. So it's really handy for like, Oh, how does that function work real quick? Or like in lodash, is it is it the first thing that's a method and the second thing's an array or a string? And like you just test it real fast and yeah. get moving. And so, st- so what I used to do was I'd open up like the console in a browser. Yeah, and, like, I was was say that way, tools. that was my that was my team. thing. And yeah. now I have like a dedicated thing for it, which is kind of handy because you know if you ever accidentally close it or or refresh the page and like hit yeah. up, yeah, oh, oh, there's my. Does test it like save look. save what you? You can done? save it in a file. It Sounds it like Jupyter or something. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's like a handy little tool. It's handy for that. So I like those kinds of things like proof of concept tools. So code sandbox and and run JS. If you're more like just right down to like, I just want a node repl
1: kind of thing. then That's yeah, probably more. Feasible. That's cool. Those are my picks. Yeah. Mine is not nearly as uh, concretely useful, but also, but very interesting. Somebody rec- somebody at rocket recommended, um, we were talking about, uh, logging out like processing of messages. And I said, do you, do you log at, uh, you know, when we get a message, do you log this out? And he said, only if, only if, uh, what was it, only if we get an error. And he said, "He following the Unix philosophy of, if a program has nothing useful to say, don't say it. And he linked me to this article of a write-up of the Unix philosophy. And I'd heard of the Unix philosophy before, but I didn't realize it was codified in some sort of document, I guess. And this was a write-up from the University of Rhode Island. And it's just a fantastic like gathering of all of this very, very practical software engineering knowledge that some of it I already knew and, but if I were reading it for the first time, it would have been extremely valuable for me to know. Um, just all these like legends, like I think it was his name, Ken Thompson who, you know, wrote some of the core stuff in, in Unix do one thing, do it well, uh, make sure that, you know module philosophy kind of thing it's funny because i've
0: heard these things over time like one function should do one thing and do it well but i didn't know that came from a unix right
1: like i mean all this all this stuff i mean i don't i love i love linux and just i love the bounty of different utility i love learning something new about linux every day and like when you read this these kind of design principles you can see why it's as good as it is and it can really be applied to almost anything um, anyway, so, you know, we'll get the link out there, but it's a really fascinating read.
0: Yeah. I mean, we don't even have a site for this yet, but there will be show notes. So we'll put the link in the show All notes. Right. Yeah, there that's you go. Uh, that's cool. Um, I, It's funny you were just saying, you know, that's why everything works the way it does in Linux. And the first thing that came to my mind was um, how difficult it is to just get like an MP3 playing <laughs> on Linux. <laughs>
1: Well, like,
0: like, there's this, there's this like, like funny, an, a GUI or, or, or yeah, sure. Or yeah. whatever. Um, just cause you have to like install the lame encoder and all this stuff. You have to, like, do all that, oh, oh yeah. Um, or like live it. I can't remember what it was. It's been a while since I've done it. There's a funny gif of, uh, I guess we will put this in the show notes too, of, um, uh, what's his name brian cranston from malcolm in the middle where he's like he goes home and he like flicks a switch and like that's not working then he goes to go fix that and he goes <laughs> in the garage and like something's not working there so he's got to fix that and he goes somewhere else and that's not working it's like this cascade of things that he's got to fix before he can go all the way back and just yeah. turn the lights on
1: maybe, maybe i should put a caveat on what i'm saying not as a consumer OS. okay as, yeah. as software engineer like, like all the server. utilities yeah as, yeah. yeah as a server as a server That but makes but yeah <laughs> no i don't use that as a yeah. as a consumer i wonder engineer.
0: if you've you know read through that if one of these is the philosophy where we see a lot of it's hard to talk people down off the sledge and we have customers who do it where they try to solve a problem today that doesn't exist yet sort of like well we'll build our software now we'll shore it up now and that way later when we use this library it'll just be ready to go and it's like you spend all this engineering time now for something that doesn't yeah. need to be solved yagni
1: have you heard of that
0: agni yagni oh y-a-g-n-i, Y-A-G-N-I. You
1: aren't gonna you ain't gonna need it you ain't gonna need it yeah is it? Yes. so I, th- that, I think that's in there somehow it's okay. not yagni but like that's what i there's a unix, a unix term for it and yeah. <laughs> there's a unix term for that that's funny
0: yeah well cool so that's um i think this is going to be episode one if the audio comes out great so we'll see how this goes but that's that's well i mean this format will change over time i'm sure we're yeah. all going to just work on this and see how it goes but be but agile about it we'll be agile about, about it yeah, yeah. totally well, yeah well that's it uh thanks man have a good day No,
1: thanks